bum bum bottom 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 bum b
I have forgotten to get you a Valentine's Day card every day of February. Yeah, you have some catching up to do. What's oh, the day today? It's already it's the eighth. Yeah, oh my God. that's a lot of cards. How come? Did you notice that I hadn't gotten you? Of course you any? I did. Why didn't you say anything? Because it's not very romantic if I'm like, "Where's my cards?" So when when did this start? When we were this when we were dating? Week? Yeah, it started. I'm when we really were... upset right now. <laughs> we don't have to include this in the podcast. Nah, go ahead, tell them. Yeah, we, we got to do what Shara says. We keep it real with our relationship. Yeah. So Brad has always gotten me. 14 plus Valentine's Day cards and he would give one to me every day leading up to Valentine's Day and sometimes every day for the entire month of February and I always save the cards so I have stacks and stacks of the last three years I've done every day of February I cannot believe I've forgotten to get you a card a day (laughs) it's because it overlapped with Sundance yeah let's blame Sundance that was magical yeah. But I failed you, and I'm going to make it up. I'm going to make well, it up. I've always failed you because I've never done anything for Valentine's Day. That's not true. I've given little gifties and stuff, and I already have uh, – uh, well, I already have your card, your well, Valentine's oh Day card. God. It's hidden in my I underwear. suck. <laughs> this is really upsetting. Oh, no. The romance is waning. All right. What would Greg Britt Barrett <sighs> say? Would he say he's just not that into you because no, he stopped I'm, giving you cards every day? No, I'm totally into you, Lisa. <laughs> I know you are. Shisa. Okay. Okay. We, I got to recover. I can't look at you at the moment. I'm going back to our script. <laughs> uh, look, hey, 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 hey. February, though. Batman and Catwoman, um, super excited to be jumping back into DC Comics. We dabbled a little bit with Mr. Miracle and Big Barda, but now we're going to a really twisted and messed up relationship, that of Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm really, I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about this. Uh, now, we've already mentioned that we're recording this on the 8th of February. Uh, today is actually the birthday of Bill Finger. Who is Bill Finger? You know, well, you know, some of you out there may know, but probably a lot of you don't. And I actually do know. Yeah. Because I live with Brad. Yeah, but you know, like, if you don't know who Bill Finger is, that's okay. But it's also so not okay. Um, because for decades, Bob Kane was credited as the sole creator of Batman. But the reality is that Bob Kane needed a lot of help in creating the Dark Knight. So, yeah, he he came up with the name Batman, but he had no real idea what a Batman was. He had hired Bill Finger to flesh him out. Kane's Batman wore a bright red costume. He had blonde hair. He had these stiff bat wings instead of a cape and a domino mask. You can go online and and look it up on Google Images right now. It's not the Batman you know. Uh, Finger made a few suggestions that eventually resulted in the design that we know today. On top of that, Finger came up with the secret identity of millionaire playboy Bruce Wayne, as well as the Batmobile, the Batcave, the name Gotham City, the Joker, Catwoman, Clayface, the Riddler, the Penguin, the Calendar Man, and Ace the Bat Hound. That's like 
everything. That's, yeah. That's everything that is Batman. Yes, yes, absolutely. And more than what I have just listed here. Uh, because Finger was a member of Kane's studio, however, he had no rights over his creations, and Kane worked damn hard to keep his own name branded with the character. Finger was a solitary figure who died alone in his apartment. He left behind two ex-wives and a son. His body was cremated, and his son spread his ashes in the shape of a bat on a beach in Oregon. So he truly loved that he was Batman's dad, or one of his dads anyway. Uh, You know, he never saw the riches from his creation, but worst of all, he never saw the credit. I think Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is the first film to actually have Finger's name associated with the character. Although, as we'll see in this comic book, uh, there's a, a reference to Bill Finger in the art. Artists and writers would slip in little tips of the hat to Batman's co-creator here and there. But I grew up not knowing the name Bill Finger. I knew the name Bob Kane, but I had never heard of Bill Finger until recently when Mark Nobleman put out a book called Bill the Boy Wonder, which is a really delightful, cute little read. And wasn't he on... um that podcast? Yes, and I can't remember what that podcast Kevin was. Kevin Smith's Batman podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fat Man on Batman yeah. back in the day when they actually did real interviews. I remember because you listened to it and then you made me listen to it because you loved it so it's much. It's just such a sad heartbreaking, story. sad story. Yeah. Um, and, and now you can actually watch a, a, a nifty Hulu documentary called Batman on Bill right now. So. Batman on Bill? No, Batman and Bill. Yeah, you misspoke. Oh, well, either way, it's <laughs> fine, Lisa. I would watch it either way. Yes, yeah, so would I. Uh, look, uh, I think this is a crazy and sad story. And one, like I said, that I was not aware of for a very long time. And whatever we and you can do to spread the word of the great Bill Finger, I think that's a good thing. So it's February 8th. Happy birthday, Bill Finger. Happy birthday, Bill. Yeah. All right. So... I'm also sorry about those Valentine's Day cards. I still can't get over it, Lisa. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Um, Let's get on. Let's get on. Uh, Batman, Lisa, what was your first experience with this character? I think my first experience with Batman, well, I know my first experience with Batman is in the films. I'm not actually sure which one I saw first. Like Michael Keaton or are we talking like Christian Bale, 2005? my first was Michael Keaton and I think that it was at home like watching it in parts with my dad Mm -hmm. I do have one distinct memory of uh, I guess I don't know I don't remember how old I was but we were in Las Vegas and this is when Batman and Robin came out oh yeah George Clooney and um, what killed the dinosaurs (laughs) the ice age oh my Schwarzenegger is so good and um, all of my cousins were going to watch the movie, but earlier, like, my cousin Kavika was playing with John, who was, like, a little kid at that point, and he was, like, flipping him in the air and stuff because he was, like, because Kavika is much older, and John threw up. No. So I refused to go to the movie if John went, oh. and so John went to the movie, and I stayed home, and I did not see Batman and Robin until many years You've later. You've told me this story. It, you story. didn't miss much with Batman and Robin. I think, uh, and again, I say I think, but like you, I know my first encounter with Batman 
was with Adam West and reruns on Nick at Night, um, the 66 TV show. And I watched that show as if it was, you know, Frank Miller's Batman. It was serious business. (laughs) I was not in on the joke at all. I did not understand camp at the time. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was such a massive celebration of the rogues gallery. You know, the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguin, all those dudes that Bill Finger co-created. Uh, you know, every week there was somebody new that I had never heard of. And and oftentimes, you know, like, okay, yeah, the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguin, uh-huh. But what about Bookworm? Roddy McDowell's Bookworm and King Tut. <laughs> I loved those dudes. Um, so, yes, that was my first exposure to Batman. I do remember when Tim Burton's 1989 Batman came out and, and you know, that logo was everywhere. You know, people were shaving it into their heads and putting it up on their wall and their cars and wherever you could slap that logo, you would find it, tattoos. And that was probably the first movie. Well, no, I remember lining up for Return of the Jedi in 1983, but in 1989, I remember being in one of those massive blockbuster lines waiting to go see this movie. And I remember when the opening credits happened and the camera is swooping in and out of that bat logo as Danny Elfman's music is swelling. That was a momentous moment. And, and, and honestly, for me, is Batman my favorite comic book character? No, that I think. That's Captain America, and, and one day we may have a Captain America show. He, we can do Cap and Sharon Carter. I think that would be cool. Although Cap's romance has never been the focal point or particularly interesting to me. Guess uh, he's too much of a good boy. But but like Batman, I like I love Batman as this symbol of what comics can be. Not not what a comic book character can be to many people. You know, you can have Adam West Batman. You can have Michael Keaton Batman. You can have Christian Bale Batman. You can have Bob Kane's Batman. You can have Grant Morrison's Batman. You can have Jim Aparo's Batman. Kelly Jones's Batman. Frank Miller's Batman. There, everybody gets a turn at this character, and each version of Batman is either slightly different or radically different, but they're all valid. And he's such a broad character that you can throw him in every kind of genre. And that's incredibly exciting. One of my favorite things to collect that Lisa usually buys on my birthday or on Christmas is that DC Comics collectibles do those, uh, not large. They're, they're like six inches tall Batman black and white statues. And I've been collecting those for the last several years, for the last decade, basically since Lisa and I got together. And I love how these artists with the Batman black and white statues, how they are interpreted differently. Like the Paul Pope Batman is so different from the Steve Rude Batman. That's so different than the Tim Sale Batman, but they're all Batman. Do you remember what the first Batman comic you read was? Cause I know mine. Um, I don't know if I could say exactly what issue it was. 
I, uh, I know it was part of the Nightfall story arc in the early 90s that when Bane was introduced and, uh, you know, Batman had his broke his back broken and Azrael took over and became the new Batman. You know, it was part of that speculator market that we've talked about in the past. Everyone's like, I got to get that poly bagged copy. Batman has his back broken and it's going to send me to college. <laughs> and obviously that didn't happen. Um, but but when Nightfall was happening, I started reading it at the midway point. And actually, that was the moment in which I started buying back issues because I had to see where this Bane story started. And so I went back in time and started collecting past issues of Batman. And that was like, like Kelly Jones's Batman was my first Batman. Nice. What about you? What was your first Bat comic? My first Batman comic that I read, I read in college. So this would be sometime in between 2002 and 2006. But it was Batman the Dark Knight, I think, the one where Batman is like an old man. The Dark Knight Returns. The Dark Knight Returns. Frank Miller. Yeah, that was my very first Batman comic because- Maybe the most famous comic book in all, of all time. But I think a weird place to like be introduced to him as a comic book. But I think character. most people are really? introduced to Batman through The Dark Knight Returns. Okay, well, or, well like better, it, comic book wise, I think most people are introduced to him through television and film. But if you're going to pick up your first Batman comic, it's probably going to be The Dark Knight Returns. And for a long time, I would give people that book when they were curious about the character. Okay. I don't do that now. <laughs> Well, it's definitely a, a much darker Batman story, mm-hmm. um, and from him as as an old man looking back at the sum of his work and seeing that, you know, for everything he's done, villainy is still very much present, and now he's a broken old man. Yeah, what's the point of my mission? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we touch on that a little bit in this uh, Brave and the Bold issue. But oh, yeah. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. How about Catwoman, though? What was your first experience with Catwoman? My introduction to Selena Kyle is Michelle Pfeiffer in yeah. Batman Returns, which I am like 90% sure was my first Batman uh-huh, movie. Uh-huh. That's and a I'm, weird first Batman movie. I'm not even sure I watched it all the way through. I have distinct memories of my dad being on the like old blue couch and me sitting on the floor watching the scene on the couch. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where they're like um, making out and yeah, stuff, yeah, 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 but yeah. then the good stuff. They both like get split up. Yeah, they, he's they, like, I've got Batman stuff to do. And she's like, ooh, I've got Catwoman stuff to do. <laughs> like, I distinctly remember that scene. And I remember um, Danny DeVito as a penguin oh, so being gross. so gross. <laughs> Love him. You know, that was a movie when I saw it as a kid, I really disliked it. But now, as a nearly 40-year-old man, it is without a doubt the superior Tim Burton Batman film. Oh, hell yeah. We just rewatched it for Christmas. It's great. And Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing in it. I think that it's a great marriage of, like, the kind of wacky 60s Batman and the darker Batman. It kind of captures both, I think. I mean, it's super Tim Burton-y. Yeah. Uh, but in a good way, where sometimes things are super <laughs> Tim Burton-y in a not good way. Uh, yeah. So so that was your first Catwoman. It wasn't uh, Julie Newmar? No. Eartha My introduction, Kitt? when I see Julie Newmar, I do not think Catwoman. I think Miss Laundromat from the Monkees. 
that one episode. But Lisa, we have that awesome Mondo Julie Newmar Catwoman poster hanging up. In my heart, it's a Miss Laundromat. Like (laughs) when we we actually have met Julie Newmar, that was a really cool experience. Even at the, we must have met her like ten years ago. Yeah, uh, again when we were dating longer than ten years ago, uh, it was a Wizard World Philly convention. And uh, even though she is a woman of distinct, distinctive age, like she was still her. She there had to be some shapewear going on because she's still shaped like a Barbie doll. Yep. Totally gorgeous. And of course, I talked monkeys with her. I was like, Catwoman, whatever. And she said you were beautiful. She did. I will never forget. She called me gorgeous. Yeah. Um, that's a great memory. Uh, yeah. Love Julie Newmar. Love Adam West. Okay. So that was your first Catwoman. Um, Catwoman comics is probably during that whole Nightfall run for me. And uh, I'm guessing Batman the Long Halloween for yeah. you. Oh, no, well, Catwoman is in The Dark Knight Returns, super sad version of Catwoman in The Mm. Dark Knight Returns. Uh, Okay, okay, all right. Now, how do you feel about them as a couple? Like, based on what? Based on your your experiences before starting this series. Like, do you feel like Batman and Catwoman belong together like Lois and Clark or Marco and Alana? their best when they're toying with this kind of sexual tension. It's fun for them to have attraction going on. I'm thinking specifically about now Christian Bale, mm. Batman, and, and Anne Catwoman, Hathaway. and Anne Hathaway. Mm. I think that their relationship is kind of exciting. Though it seems like they end up together in the end because of the table scene. Yep, I don't I know. Think, I think they do. I think that the idea of, like, they have these similarities of not identifying with either of their identities because each of them have their selves that they present to the world. Mm. He's the playboy Bruce Wayne. She is, you know, a young woman. Ingenue. Doing young woman stuff. (laughs) But they also don't feel completely themselves as their superhero slash supervillain personas. I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So they have that in common. And... But they have these ideological differences. She has this kind of Robin Hood-esque idea, except for she doesn't give anything to the poor. She just keeps it for herself. Well, she does have people that she protects. Yeah. uh, And we'll see that uh, later on this month. But personally, I am not as invested in their relationship as much as I have been in our previous couples, Scott and Jean and Marco and Well, because they're not meant to be together. Which I think is kind of the funnest thing about them. All right. So let's put a button on that thought for now. Uh, As we said at the beginning of this episode, we are going to be using He's Just Not That Into You as our relationship guide this month. Lisa, take it away. Explain to me what's what's the deal with this book. I've seen the movie. (laughs) He's Just Not That Into You is by Greg Barrett and Liz Ticilio. Greg Barrett, I actually first became aware of as a stand-up because he had a special that came out in 2006 called uh, Greg Barrett is Uncool that was on Comedy Central all of the time. And actually, if you listen to a previous episode, I 
quote him or rather just straight up, straight up steal one of his jokes when I call um, Marco ripped like Jesus. <laughs> he had a long like little he had a, like a little set about ripped like Jesus. I can't I can only I remember. didn't realize you had this connection to these authors before. Yeah. Um, and then Liz Ticilio was a writer and producer on Sex, Sex in the City. I never actually watched Sex in the City. Let me know via Twitter if I need to correct that. It's just like one of those those uh, big Gaps. social things that yeah, I, just, like, I also never watched didn't it. Didn't really get as into. Well. Huh. Okay, so uh, maybe I, we have a little hope that we're going to enjoy this book uh, more than we did the five love languages and men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I actually am enjoying this book because it's by a comedian and a writer. The actual quality of writing is way better, especially better than Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I had to claw my way through that book. It was so boring. And I like the fact that it really is a collaboration where there are parts that Greg writes and there are parts that Liz writes, and they both have very distinctive voices. So you do get a little bit more variety in the writing. And I found it a really fun, quick read. Um, So the origin of this book is Greg Barrett would sometimes be invited to the writer's room of Sex in the City as kind of the dude who would lend the hetero perspective on their stories. And part of the writing process is the women would open up about their relationships and talk about what's going on in their lives because that would inevitably influence the story. So one of the women in the writing room had gone on a movie date with this guy and they had ended up, you know, making out afterwards. And then she didn't hear from him for like a week. And um, but then that morning she had received an email from him going like, why haven't I heard from you? So the women habit of when you hear stories like this is to kind of bolster the woman up and go like, well, clearly he's got to be into you. You're beautiful. You're smart. He must be intimidated by you. Or maybe he was just really busy or he didn't want to seem too forward. And the habit is to kind of comfort and uplift and foster hope that this relationship may or may work, that that he is actually kind of into you. He just doesn't know how to show it. And Greg was like, no, actually... He could not be that into you. He's not that into you because if he was really into you, he would have called you right away. He would have invited himself up to your apartment. He would have emailed the very next day and said, great hanging out. Let's make more plans. So all of this led to an episode of Sex and the City called Pick a Little, Talk a Little. And it became this book. The book was published in 2004 and it became a New York Times bestseller and it was featured on the Oprah Winfrey show. And when you listen to Greg Barrett, it kind of derailed his stand-up career in a way that he found really challenging and confusing. Sure, because there's like a whole bunch of spinoff books and a film. Yeah, so he's written a bunch of other books, including um, some books with his wife, Amira, uh, called It's... It's a breakup because it's broken. Um, it's just a date. How to get him, how to read him, how to rock him. So he was so successful yeah, that he, he became a relationship guru like John Gray. Yeah, yeah. He became a relationship guru 
over being a stand-up, and it would attract these women to his shows who were not who really just wanted to talk to him about their relationships. They really didn't want to hear his stand-up. <laughs> That's kind of depressing, Lisa. It is a little depressing. <laughs> but he's since really accepted what his life has become, and you know, he has a beautiful wife and children and, and a career, and he's he's still doing stand-up and he's got a band and he's a cancer survivor. He's just an all-around cool guy. I I hear him every once in a while on some of my favorite podcasts, including the Never Not Funny, where he, Jimmy Pardo's podcast, where he pops in. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying the book. Uh, I'm excited to be wading into territories where it might be a little less awkward than our last two gurus. Here's what I really like about the book. Greg is not claiming any kind of false qualifications. He's not calling him himself Dr. Greg. He's not claiming to have any kind of degrees in sociology or in counseling or anything like that. His authority comes from, I'm a, I'm a guy. I know how guys think. And women would never think to ask a guy, so I'm just going to give it to you straight. He's not that into you. And some of it, A lot of it is actually really good advice. It all comes down to if you're in a quasi relationship with someone who makes you question your own value or you're otherwise not getting what you want, you should get out of that relationship. Dating shouldn't be wearing someone down until they want to be with you. It should be finding someone who clicks with you. Finding the one should be a process of efficiency. If he's giving you these signs that he's not into you, you should just let it go, patch up your hurt feelings, and move on to the next guy. It's the guys who are into you are not as scarce as you think, so you should just keep faith that the one for you is out there and keep keep looking. So some of the reasons guys do these murky behaviors, according to the book, generally fall into three categories. First, he's keeping his options open. He's kind of into you, but he's not into you enough to commit to you. So he's doing these behaviors to keep his options open. And if Claudia Schiffer walks by, he can He bail. wants to look unattached. Yeah. Um, he's also, it could be that he's getting something else out of you, which could be sex. It could be companionship, or maybe you're just genuinely good company, but he doesn't and he doesn't want to lose out on that, so he doesn't want to want to put you down specifically and look you in the eyes and go, like, I don't want a relationship with you. I'm not into you in that way. And another thing is he doesn't want to hurt a woman's feelings. Sure. Um, here's what I don't like about the book. I think it's unnecessarily gendered. Reading through this book, a lot of it reminds me of my what it was like before we met my dating relationships. Some of these behaviors have happened to me. They've happened to my friends. I've also done some of these behaviors mm. of trying to keep my options open or like I'm I'm kind of decrescendoing one relationship because I'm seeing if another relationship sure. is Sure, what you're saying is it's not exclusively a male act or a female act. Exactly, and I think that this book could be just as effective if it was called They're Just Not That Into You because men and women, they are different, but they operate a lot the same as well. Um, another one of Greg's theories, just to use this as an example, 
is he believes that a woman should never ask a man out because <laughs> a man, when he sees a woman that he likes oh. and he's into mm. her, will inevitably ask her out. So if he hasn't asked you out, it's because he's not that into you. Or he's terrified like Brad was <laughs> with you. That's what I'm saying. I was the one to ask Brad out first. Or I, actually, I invited myself on an on an errand, more or less. Brad mentioned that uh, he might want new frames for his glasses. Yeah, we were at a work dinner. Yeah, because we were I hanging was, out. Yeah. We both worked together at Barnes and Noble, and uh, he had these huge yeah. what aviator style? No, they weren't glasses. aviators. They're were like dad glasses. They, they were like eighties dad glasses. Yeah, like the size of the lens was like the size of your palm. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, I I might need some new glasses. And I'm like, I'll help you find new glasses. And that's how I put it out there. Hey, Brad, I'm into you. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pretty dense dude. But then from there, we did all of the into you behaviors. We made more plans to hang out. We shared awkward hugs. We shared awkward hugs. We started having... You know, make out and oh, sex relationship. Oh, oh. We committed to each other. We got married. And here we are. <laughs> All of that is some extreme into you behavior. Took a long time to figure out how to hold hands, though. Yeah, it did. I'm six foot four. <laughs> She's tiny. I'm tiny. I got a little tiny mitt. So how it relates to this particular issue of Batman, the brave and the bold in this particular on Earth too. Well, do we want to get into all that yet? Don't we want to talk about the comic first? I just want to say this. Okay. Batman and Catwoman are very much into each other. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the signs that are in the book, he's just not that into you, can be theoretically reversed engineered to go. Well, is he into you? So. um, Bruce and Selina definitely into each other in this book. And I've pinpointed specific clues that relate to points in the book. So as we talk through the book, okay. I'll point them cool, out. Cool, cool, cool. So, All right. So this will be our, our, our example of two people who are into each other. All right. Well, I am curious to see how this goes. Uh, yes. So we are reading The Brave and the Bold Issue number 197, titled The Autobiography of Bruce Wayne, written by Alan Brennert, illustrated by Joe Statton and George Freeman, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by the great Len Wine. Maybe most importantly, the issue has a striking cover by classic bat artist Jim Aparo, in which the scarecrow looms over and embraced Batman and Catwoman with their capes forming a lovely heart shape swoon. I love this cover so much. I've mentioned it already this episode, but I would die to have a Mondo print of this cover. Night of passion, night of fear. Yes. 
So, okay, Batman, Catwoman. This couple was originally suggested to us by listener Abby at XXAbbyXO on Twitter. And this particular issue was suggested by another listener, Ryan Bailey, at RCB underscore IN underscore DC on Twitter, who believes that the moment at the end of this comic where Selena unmasks in front of Bruce to shake him free from his fear toxin stupor to be one of the most romantic moments ever depicted in a comic book. And he sent me down the rabbit hole of eBay to find the cheapest issue of this comic book. It's not a terribly old comic. It was published in April of 1983, but not this comic. It's as old as me. Actually, it's older than me because I was born in December. Yeah. So you're slightly younger than this uh, storyline. Um, and it's not, as far as I can tell, it's not collected in anything at the moment. So you've got to go to eBay. You got to search the back issues of your local comic book store to find this comic. Uh, it's a bit of a deep cut, but I'm so glad that Ryan steered me to this comic because I adored it. It was, it's really cute. The basic plot is this, the time. Two years ago, the place, Wayne Manor, Gotham City, on the world we know as Earth 2. What the hell is Earth 2? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, are we ready for this? Uh, Earth 2, it's part of the multiverse, another dimension that exists separate from the main DC Comics universe. The concept was first introduced in The Flash number 123 in 1961 to explain the differences readers might see between the characters of the Golden Age versus the then-current Silver Age characters. So it's a, an apologist approach to... Retcon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, More continuity. That's right. Earth 1 has the Justice League of America, but Earth 2 has the Justice Society of America. Then came the Crisis of Infinite Earth and Grant Morrison's Final Crisis and Multiversity, but we sure as hell don't have time to talk about all of that right here. Basically, for our purposes, setting this issue in Earth 2 allows the writer to do whatever the hell they want with Batman and Catwoman free from the usual constraints of DC Comics continuity. Especially since on this Earth, Batman is already dead. Gasp! And Brave and the Bold number 197 represents the final memoir of Bruce Wayne written just months before he croaked. The story opens with Commissioner Gordon signaling Batman. The Scarecrow has escaped and he has intoxicated the commish as well as Batman with his treacherous fear toxin that causes folks to hallucinate their worst fear. While attending the wedding of an old flame, Linda Page, the Scarecrow attacks. Everyone is freaking out. Um, Snake and spiders are being rained down upon them from the scarecrow. He's got bags of these creatures and he's dumping them on them, knowing that they're going to be super terrified because of the extra bonus terror effects of his gas. <laughs> Bruce calls upon Robin and they go after him. Batwoman's there, but Bruce has been poisoned and his worst fear is that all his friends and allies will leave him. So they disappear before his eyes. Bruce kind of realizes what's happening to him. So rather than seeking out an ally who will simply vanish before him, he seeks out an old enemy, Selena Kyle, AKA Catwoman, And she's trying to lead a, a normal life as a bank teller. She apparently 
has some kind of amnesia that has made her forget all of her Catwoman activities. And, you know, with some simple begging, Batman convinces her to tag along on this adventure to take down the Scarecrow. Uh, They battle him and in the process fall in love. Yay. And then by the end of the issue, they're both dead. Yep. Earth 2. <laughs> I just love this era of comic book where the writer is totally exposing the thoughts of Bruce Wayne and he's filled with doubt. He's not, you know, the Christian Bale of The Dark Knight Rises, total confidence. He's very much like Peter Parker, totally doubting himself at every turn, not sure what's going to happen and who he is and if he's been leading a a worthy life of vigilantism or not. Well, he's kind of come to hate Bruce Wayne. Mm. Um, According to this comic, he really felt like he needed to differentiate the two personalities because there's a lot of crossover between who knows Bruce Wayne and who knows Batman. Sure. And that that's we, we see that in the regular continuity. We see that in Batman Begins, that Bruce Wayne creates this playboy fop to distract people from what he's actually doing at night, beating the hell out of muggers and, and jokers. But this playboy fop is ruining his relationships. So in the first in the first couple of pages, He's attending the wedding of one of his exes. Yeah, Linda Page. Linda Page. And she brings up how he seemed to have lost motivation and he's become kind of a cad. And she knows that he could do so much more if he really applied himself. And And it made him think about all of the women this playboy persona has cost him. He lost Julie Madison. He lost Linda. And he really is looking for someone to settle down with. But the only people he really feels close to are the people who know him as Batman. Sure. Like Alfred and Robin. and This scene where he bursts into the dressing room of Linda on her wedding day. He's an ex, right? And he's kicking down her door to go chat to her before her wedding. It's a little awkward. And and Linda is like, you know what, Bruce? It's okay. Don't worry about it. I shouldn't have tried to change you back then. (laughs) It was my fault that we broke up. And he knows, no, it wasn't your fault, Linda. It was my fault. I think that it's a good sign of character that he's still friends with his exes, though. Yeah, well, he's got to cover his bases, Lisa. He doesn't, you know. He's keeping his options open. He's keeping his (laughs) options open. If he was really actually into Linda, he would have told her. Sure, of course. he was Batman. Yeah, he would have Vicky veiled her. Um, now, what I love is, like, next the next page, when he's contemplating what, what happens when Alfred retires and Dick graduates and Kathy gives up being Batwoman, and he'll just be alone with his mission, and he's losing purpose. Yeah, he, de- he desires intimacy. He wants someone who's going to be with him Until the end. And I think what is key to that also is if we go back to the meeting with Commissioner Gordon and Batman, you know, they're talking about how the Scarecrow has escaped again. And the Jokers recently escaped and the Penguins recently escaped and the Riddlers recently escaped. And they just 
capture them, throw them back in jail, and they come out worse than they were before. This mission of his is pointless. Right. So he's ready to bring meaning to his life through a romantic relationship, maybe having children. He is looking to settle down. Right. And here comes the scarecrow at Linda Page's wedding with his bags of snakes and spiders. He rains them down upon him and he has to go into attack mode. Dick's with him. Kathy's with him. They don the costumes. They go to battle Professor Crane, the scarecrow. And I love this moment in the book when uh, Kathy Batwoman says, can I crash this course too? And, Professor Crane, he's so sick of all of these metaphors. Puns already. Yeah, I'm tired of these school puns. (laughs) He just wants to terrify and defeat Batman. Stop mocking him. I like that he's a disgruntled teacher because I too am a disgruntled (laughs) teacher. (laughs) That's what happens when you don't get paid enough. Right. So he he poisons Batman. He has a mini victory there. Batman sees Kathy and Dick disappear before his eyes and he's freaking out. And that's when he gets the bright idea to find an enemy that uh, he doesn't value as much as his loved ones to team up with. And the first person he thinks of is Selena Kyle working at that bank. Right. I like how he calls Martha Kent and he and because She's a friend of his. He can't hear her voice over the phone. So there's Martha going like, hello, Bruce, can you hear me? (laughs) Great panel. (laughs) Comedy, comedy gold. So um, when he goes to see Selena at the bank, she he's talking about how like his world is getting smaller because the people he loves is disappearing And she really identifies with that feeling because when she was Catwoman, she became so isolated. Right. They find a lot of common ground over the course of this book. Batman says, I don't have anyone else I can turn to. Much of my world seems to be shrinking dead ends and locked doors. And then Selena goes shrinking. Yes, I know that feeling. Good read, Brad. Yeah, yeah. Character. I'm acting. I like how on the bottom of the page, Batman hands her her cat suit. Like, why does he have an extra cat suit lying around? He probably tries it on. I think it's in his utility belt. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's just been holding on to it. He's been waiting for this moment. So Batman and Catwoman are starting their mission. They're headed to Gotham University, where uh, Crane used to teach. And they're watching each other very closely. They're really reading into each other's behavior. And Batman is a little shocked at how quickly she's falling back into Catwoman. It's kind of (laughs) like she didn't actually have amnesia at all. Or maybe her amnesia is seceding. Yeah, Bruce Wayne's a dummy. (laughs) Meanwhile, she um, is looking at Batman and going like, he seems off. He seems obsessed. But she even thinks to herself, well, maybe I'm just reading too much into his behavior because I have feelings for him. Right. And then so they fight off this tiger that has been Not dust- a tiger, a lion. Sorry. I don't know animals. So he, he had like Crane has um, intoxicated, sedated these lions so that. They look like just kind of statues at the gate of the university. But then 
when an infiltrator comes along, they're shocked with electricity and they they come to life. And of course, Catwoman has this affinity for felines. And so she really is affected by using the animals in that way. She's a cat burglar and an animal rights activist. She still cracks that whip on that one lion. You got to do what you got to do to protect your man. Right. What I do love about that, though, is how they really enjoy partnering up. And Batman says to Catwoman at one point, you know, after psychotics like the Joker and the Scarecrow, you have no idea how refreshing it was to deal with someone who was just in it for the money like you. That's true. Backhanded compliment. I don't know. When you're into a guy, you'll just take what you get. (laughs) So Batman and Catwoman make it past the lion guards, and then they go through this museum of phobias. Yeah. Now, hold on. Before we get to that museum, turn back the page. What's that uh, place called? Oh, I didn't notice this before. It's called the Bill Finger Hall of Physical Sciences. Yeah. Tip of the hat to the co-creator. That's so beautiful. And the Bill Finger Hall of Physical Sciences is a museum of phobias. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy phobias, star phobia and comet phobia and whatever they're actually called. There's no such thing as a weird phobia. Oh. The one thing about phobias is they're not rational. Sorry, I didn't mean to shame. <laughs> I, I have a very specific phobia. Maybe we'll get into it. Probably not today. Uh, but anyway, um, but they don't get out unscathed because... Um, at the pyrophobia exhibit, a crossbow shoots Batman and his cape bursts into flames and Selina is able to put it out. And in a moment of vulnerability, he opens up to her and tells her about why he became Batman because of this anger he has from his parents passing and being murdered when he was 10 years old when he was 10 i love this page i love those three panels at the top where he has the cowl still on his back is exposed and catwoman sees the decades worth of scar tissue on his back and you know even though she's been leading a life of crime and adventure her body clearly doesn't look like his disgusting scarred up living corpse so in witnessing this she gets immediate respect for her opponent yeah and everything that he's gone through so uh meanwhile the scarecrow is there he's released this kind of dispersing toxin that creates these pockets of phobia that they're kind of moving into and out of and at one point selena gets caught in a a gas pocket. A gas bubble. That makes her afraid of heights. And it's a very vulnerable moment to her. And so she's getting frustrated. And so she says, uh, I hate feeling so, so helpless. I became the Catwoman, so I'd never have to be at anyone's mercy ever again. Now look at me. And then Batman, finally, the light bulb goes on. And he's like, I thought you had amnesia. So she comes clean and she said, I, I just I just pretended to have 
amnesia so I could get out of the life of being Catwoman. Right. And she says, you know, I, you know, I felt trapped. I, I wasn't Selena Kyle anymore. I was the Catwoman because I was 30 years old and I don't want to die without love, without children. Yeah, she's 30 and therefore terrified of becoming an old maid. <laughs> but before. But she has been married before. She was in a, an abusive relationship with this rich guy. And so, and he would get physically violent with her. And so the only wa- way she felt she could get revenge was to take away something that was meaningful to him. And that was his wealth. And that's how she became the Catwoman. So they find this compatibility, this similarity because they both took on these mantles because they were angry. And they were broken and they have this void in their souls. Right. So the climax of this issue is when they wander through one of these fear toxin pockets and Catwoman develops a fear of bats and Batman develops a fear of cats and Batman is shrinking into total terror and Catwoman's fighting it better than he is and manages to take her cowl off, believing that if she reveals herself to him... As not a cat. As not a cat, as Selena Kyle, he will be forced to do the same. And for the first time, they'll see each other, not as Batman and Catwoman, but Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle. And... they embrace and they they that that's when they seal the deal together forever. So they start making out and uh, he's like, oh, wait, we still have Crane. He's still out there. And she's like, but he'll always kind of be out there. So do we really have to worry about that? And he's like, no. And they continue to make out. And so that relates to he's just not that into you. Chapter four which is he's just not that into you if he's having sex with you. But that that chapter is really all about like if a guy is into you, he'll do whatever he can to have his hands all over you. So (laughs) if you reverse engineer that, Batman is saying, I don't need to catch the bad guy. This thing that has been my priority since I was 10 years old because of this traumatic experience, and I have since gotten scar after scar. I've battled villain after villain. But to make out with Selena Kyle, I'm going to put all of that aside. He's super into her. This is a really weird Batman comic at the end of the day, right? It starts with Batman very unsure of his position as the Dark Knight, Everything he does is pointless because he will not kill any of his rogues. He just throws them in jail. They pop back out. He throws them back in jail. They pop back out. You know, wash, rinse, repeat. It's a never-ending cycle. And the book concludes with Selena Kyle and Bruce together as a couple going, you know what? Scarecrow is always going to be there. We'll take care of them. And if you turn the page, that's how the comic ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, reader. We still caught Scarecrow, but the punching and the bad guys are not what's important in life. What's important in life is human connection. And it's kind of a rejection of the whole premise of Batman. That's true. I didn't really think about that that way. But yeah. So 
they do end up getting married, which relates to um, chapter <laughs> seven. He's just not that into you if he doesn't want to marry you. So clearly he's very into her. They get married. They're together for 20 years. And then she apparently dies. We don't know how. In a tragic way. And then he dies in another in, in a tragic way. Right. And the last panel is the gravesite of both Selena and Bruce. And we see their images in the cloud embraced in heaven, I guess. And the bat signal is being uh, flared over their funeral or over Bruce's funeral because she died before him. There's no chapter that says... He's just not that into you if he doesn't want to be buried right next to you. But I think that these two side-by-side crosses underneath the shine of the bat symbol is a pretty good sign that they're super into (laughs) each other. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So Batman and Catwoman live happily ever after, kind of. Well, no, they they live dead ever after. Well, I mean, they live happily ever after until until they're corpses, and we all become (laughs) corpses. So I say this is a happy ending, Lisa. Yay! And yeah, it takes an Earth 2 for them to have true happiness. And Earth 1, Batman and Catwoman, they're still working things out. Well, I'm looking forward to getting back to Earth One and uh, seeing these star-crossed lovers battle it out. And we can determine how really into each other are they. (laughs) So there you have it. uh, Ending our ninth episode of the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast and starting Bruce and Selena's romantic journey uh, for the next three weeks. Lisa, what do we uh, what do we learn from uh, Brave and the Bold issue one ninety seven about us about Batman and Catwoman? What's the deal here? What I learned is you're not going to find a relationship until you're ready. Like Batman is Bruce Wayne is lamenting all of these relationships that he thought he missed out on because he was Batman and because he couldn't share this other side of himself with them. But in reality, if he really truly was into them and and loved them, he would have revealed his true self to them. So these you can't find a relationship until you are ready to be in a relationship. I agree. Uh, you know, my my big takeaway I mean th- this this book really feeds into uh, a conversation that I have a lot with myself. It's so easy for me to get caught up in work and money and the BS of life. And truly what matters is the the person who's been there the entire time uh, fighting it out with you, uh, you know, your loved one, your spouse, your true love. And you can just, you know, Shed those fears. Don't don't get in the way of your own happiness. And in some of our like, if you think about five love languages and the idea of continuing to find ways to express love to the other person with this book, he's just not that into you reverse engineering that like if you're into someone, you will never stop expressing your love. Right, right. Except when you forget 
that it's February and you owe your wife one Valentine Day card a day until <laughs> the month's ex- over. Even though I was not getting my cards, you've expressed your love in many other ways. I'm still upset about that. Um, and then uh, I'm gonna like you're gonna wake up tomorrow and you well not tomorrow because we're recording this. It's, it's already after midnight. It is tomorrow. Yeah, so so not today, but tomorrow you'll get like nine cards, and then I'll get back to the get back to it. Get back to my usual business. Why didn't I put it on my Google Calendar? You don't have to do it. You can think of other, some other grand and beautiful gesture. Yeah, I know I don't have to do it, but I love doing it. And I I'm, love, and I, I love getting those And it's cards. like, it's just something, we, we've been doing it for like 10 years, and I freaking forgot. Stop living in the past, Brad. It's time to think about the future. What is going to be our book next week? Okay, I am really excited because we are digging into not the most popular Batman book of all time. That would be The Dark Knight Returns, but the second most popular, or well, maybe the third, because the second most popular Batman book is probably Alan Moore's The Killing Joke. And then the third most popular Batman book of all time is Frank Miller and Dave Mazzucchini. Kelly's Batman Year One. Which is another Batman book I've already read. Yes. And, and one I have read many times, but it's been a while. I, I think the last time I even thought about this story was when we were at the San Diego Comic Con that year and they premiered the animated adaptation of this book. Oh, do you yeah. remember that? With yeah, Brian Cranston voicing Commissioner Gordon and he was there. Uh, and, and I do not like that adaptation. No. No. <laughs> so, yeah, let's discover why this is such a classic. It's, you know, the first year of Bruce Wayne masquerading as the Dark Knight. Uh, we get some early Catwoman stories here. Uh, I remember their relationship being pretty intriguing, but maybe I'm wrong. We're going to find out. Well, I look forward to it. Um, all right, Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can send all your words of affirmation to me at MouthDork uh, and send me your favorite Batman Catwoman storylines. I don't want to do all the obvious picks, although I think I've got this month mapped out already. But you can give me your great defenses of your favorite Batman Catwoman books and you might reshape how this series goes. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. What what should our listeners? It's not fair if our listeners are just talking to you. What should they send to me? They should, they should, um, hmm, hmm. What if relationship they, books. You're the girl, so people should send you the relationship books. That sounds good. If there's a relationship <laughs> book you enjoy, you can certainly send that to us. Or maybe, or maybe if you're in a murky relationship, you don't know if they're into you or not, you can send that to me and I'll tell you. I'll, I will refer to the book. He's just not that into you. And I'll tell you why that person is not into you. How does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Just on the fly. All right. Ideas. And you can commit to this podcast by subscribing on iTunes and Spotify and Podbean and on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. So until next time, listeners, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy. Bum bum ba da bum bum ba